It's time to worship through digging into God's word. We do this every week because we value God's truth. We know it's our guide for life. Uh, so if you would open up to the book of Ephesians, we'll be in chapter four, starting in verse 25, uh, page 978 in those Bibles we provide for you there in the rows. And if you need a Bible, by the way, if you, if you don't own a Bible or you, you need a new copy of God's word, feel free to take that. Or we have some free Bibles here on the resource table. Uh, that's our gift to you. So let me ask you a question. Um, how much time did you spend getting ready this morning? All right, I, I'm not asking for, you know, responses right now, but just think about it. Um, some of you probably rolled right out of bed through, you know, you met, hopefully you took a shower last night, if this is the case. You just threw some clothes on, you're feeling good, you're ready, you're here. Um, others of you probably got up a little earlier than, than others and, uh, and really spent some time making yourself look so nice today, okay? So, so, so I just wanna ask you a question. How do you dress? What's your style? Do you, do you dress to impress others by the way that you, you dress? Do you, do you want to stand out or do you want to blend in? And some of you think, you know what, Tanner, I really don't care about that. That's not my thing. I don't, I don't get wrapped up in all that. I'm not a fashionista or whatever the case may be. Um, and so maybe, maybe you're saying, like, I don't, I don't really care. Um, so, so if you don't care, chances are it's probably that you've kind of become a style to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just, you just have your own style. Um, which is, which is fine. All right, maybe we can name it after you or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, but what's your style? There are different styles out there. We got, we got hipsters, all right? I don't know if that's you. We got a little what's up over here. Okay, a little hipsters. Uh, we, have, we have urban dress. Um, some go a little more preppy. Uh, we got punk, vintage, indie, sporty, casual, business, and maybe some of you just work a combination of those, you know? It's like when you're at school, you're kind of dressing this, this way, but when you're at church, you know, you're coming another way. Um, but, but whatever the case may be, here, here's the deal, okay? As a general rule, we all think we look pretty good, right? Let's just be honest, okay? No one's waking up, looking in the mirror and saying, you know what? I look like such a dweeb today. I can't wait for people to think, man, what a dweeb, Anybody, anybody thinking that? I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not looking in the mirror saying, yes, I look so awful today. Borderline redonkulous, okay? <laughs> You've never heard that word, I know. We, we've all been there, right? Okay, we, we've all been in the place where we're, we're wearing some high waters that we didn't know were high, We've all put on that new shirt that we love. It's got a big stain on it. We, we've all, um, you know, um, thought we had the right color scheme, but, but if our friends are being honest, they're like ready to sign us up for what not to wear. Okay, we've all, we've all been there, right? But we all think we look pretty good. And you know what? When, when we think about um, the, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of Christ, what, what John shared with us last week, we all have a spiritual wardrobe. And... Most of us, like in just everyday life, we think that our spiritual clothing looks pretty good. We think that we're, we're looking nice. But in reality, we know that we still all have a little bit of work to do to, to, to look as, as nice as perhaps we uh, should on a daily basis. And so uh, what I want to do today is I want to invite us to think about what it looks like to wear, uh, we, we're going to call it today, Jesus gear. All right, Jesus gear, the, the attire of Christ is the attire that is our standard in life. 
And so as we, as we work our way through these verses, uh, this, this, this passage is going to encourage us to wear our Jesus gear motivated by Jesus gospel. Okay, that's where we're going today. Wear your Jesus gear motivated by Jesus gospel. And to put it in simple terms, what we're talking about is, is simply gospel-motivated living. That's, that's what we're after here. We're, we're after a life that looks like Christ that is motivated by the work of Christ on the cross, what we've sung about uh, all morning uh, today. And so these specific encouragements that we're going to see in verses 25 through 32 of chapter 4, um, they all flow out of what John shared with us last week about how we are to live life now in Christ on a daily basis. There's this threefold rhythm, right, where we put off things that don't look like Christ, that belong to our old life, now that we're a new creature, a new creation in Jesus, and we've been made new, we've been made alive spiritually, so we put off those things that don't look like Christ, we renew our mind on a daily basis as we come to God's truth in his word. And then finally, we put on the things that look like Christ day by day. This is, this is the imagery of clothing. It's, 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 it's wardrobe imagery that we find here in the passage. So Romans 13, 14 puts it like this, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so out of that clothing imagery that John shared last week, uh, we're going to see six distinct ways that we ought to dress on a daily basis, all right? Six ways that we should dress to be like Christ. And I want you to just think about my, my, my outfit today, all right? I don't even like calling it that. I don't even know why I said that, all right? But what I have on, all right? Um, you can see here that uh, I chose to wear socks today, all right? Maybe you can see that. I got some... Gray, gray socks matches my pants all right, I think. Um, I learned a few years ago that you're supposed to wear socks that, that match your pants. I didn't even know that. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning. I'm growing. All right. But I have, some, I have some shoes on. Got my socks, pants, shirt, belt. And if you're looking close, I got a little undershirt here. Okay. So that's, that's six items. All right. Now, none of you were probably analyzing my my outfit, what I got on uh, that closely. But, but just think about this. If I were to, to take any one of these off, there would be something that looks a little different or a little uh, maybe off center uh, than, you know, how I look right now. And this is, this is kind of how our lives are before God, right? God, God has a, a design, uh, which, which is Jesus, what Jesus looks like. And he wants us to put on each piece of the wardrobe that looks like Christ so that we can be spiritually, as my dad used to say, sharp, okay? Well, actually, he wouldn't say sharp. He would say sharp. All right. Um, but, but, you know, this is my dad. He was a basketball coach. So he would make us, this is sidebar, it's not in my notes. Sorry. He, would, he would make us dress up to go to basketball games. All right. We would wear suit coats. And, and he would say, if you look, if you dress sharp, you'll play sharp. If you look sharp, you'll play sharp. And, and when you come in in the suit, you know, in the gym and the other team's looking all, scr you know, scroungy or whatever I'm trying to say, you know, they, they kind of get intimidated by how, uh, you know, we look because we're looking nice and we're ready to go. All right, that's, I don't even know why I'm sharing that with you uh, other than to say <laughs> that we want to we dress nice, spiritually speaking. Okay, so let's read this before I keep going on and on about my high school days. All right, let's, let's read verses 25 through 32 of Ephesians 4. Here we go. What is our dress? What should our dress look like? This is what Paul writes. Therefore, put off, renew, put on. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All right, before we break these verses down, let me give you a heads up on three fronts here uh, this morning, okay? Number one, all of these instructions carry huge significance for our relationship with God and with one another. All right, so think about this. As we go through here and we see that Paul's telling us to put off deceitful ways, lying, stealing, unkind words, all of these serve to tear down our human relationships, these, these, these ways that we are to put off, they disrupt the harmony of our human relationships. But conversely, these, these virtues that we are to put on, these positive commands we're to put into practice, speaking truthfully, sharing with one another, uh, giving kind words, they all serve to build up and harmonize our human relationships. So just think about it. As we, as we look at this, the way that we should dress like Christ, you're gonna see that when you put these clothes on, your human relationship is going to be so much better than if you uh, leave things on that you should have been putting off. All right, so that's the first thing. Number two, these instructions are gospel motivated, okay? A little, little grammar lesson for you, okay? The whole Bible, all right? Old Testament, New Testament, uh, it, it's all built on indicatives. All right, what, what's an indicative? An indicative is a statement of fact. What is true about God and his world and who we are and what he has done in our world. These are indicatives. Now, imperatives, which we're seeing a bunch of imperatives today, imperatives are things we ought to do. They are statements of command. All right? So check this out. Imperatives, what we should do, are always built on the indicatives of who God is and what he has done. All right, so you can even go back to the Old Testament and see the, the Ten Commandments that maybe you're familiar with. Okay, the Ten Commandments start with this statement, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. Okay, it's all grounded in the character of God and the work of God. And this is what we see here in Ephesians 4. Okay, in fact, you could say, if you just want to structure the book in case you forgot, we started the year in chapter 1 of Ephesians, and Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are primarily indicatives. This is who God is. This is what he's done. And then in chapter 4, we move to more, uh, this is how we should live, imperatives, instructions for our lives. And, and each one of these commands we're going to see um, have a motivating reason related to the gospel as we work through. So don't miss that. And then number three, these instructions are not burdensome. God's commands, 1 John 5, 3, are never burdensome. The only reason we view them as burdensome is that we fundamentally do not want to do them. 
Why is that? Because we have this old man. We have this old, this old way of life that we really still love at times. And so it's hard for us to put them off. But, but, but God doesn't give us a command and an instruction that is going to be like a weight on our back. It's actually to give us freedom and joy and fulfillment in life. And so listen to this as we work our way through. Just remember that all of these commands are motivated by the gospel. There is joy set before us. Milton Vincent puts it this way. So good. He says this. When I begin my train of thought with the gospel, I realize that God, if God loved me enough to sacrifice his son's life for me, then he must be guided by that same love when he speaks his commands to me. Did you catch that? Like nod your head if you got that. It's good. So I'm going to read it again. If the love of God that sent Jesus to the cross is motivating every one of his commands for us, then we have to know that he is up to something good when he asks us to do something. That is why Vincent goes on to say, viewing God's commands and prohibitions in this light, I can see them for what they really are. What are they? Friendly signposts from a heavenly father who is seeking to love me through each directive so that I may experience his full, very fullness forever. And so what are these friendly signposts? What, are the, what is this garb, this Jesus gear that we are to put on, okay? Just think about the imagery of a closet, okay? We're gonna go into the closet and we're gonna pull out six items, all right, that hopefully will help us look like Jesus. No doubt they will. Number one, speak the truth with your neighbor. Look back at verse 25. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do you see this put off language? He says, put away falsehood. Put away not speaking the truth. Lies. We discard of it. You know what happens every Wednesday morning at my house? This is what happens every Wednesday morning at my house. We take, we take the, the stinky trash, all right? And, and can I get that picture, Jesse? We take the stinky trash, we put it on our curb, and the waste management system takes it off and hauls it to wherever they haul it. I don't even know where they haul it around here in Medford. We don't have a dump. But, but the point is, they take these things that, that we despise and that stink in our lives, and, and, they, and they haul them off uh, for us every single week. And this is how we should view the sin in our life, the junk in our life, the mess in our life, the brokenness in our life. Um, we, we should look at, look at these things that, that don't look like Christ in this kind of way. Man, I want those things to be removed and never to be seen again. This should be our attitude toward sin. So when we are telling a story, we tell the truth. When we are asked a question, we tell the truth. When we are giving an account of what is going on in our lives, we tell the truth. Think about this. The reason that we lie is most of the time because one of our idols that we really love is threatened by our telling the truth. So think about this. We, we aren't transparent and vulnerable about what's going on in our life because we want people to think we're better than we really are. So we have this approval idol or reputation idol that, that our reputation, the approval of others is more important than my godliness in this moment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch the truth. I'm going to lie so I look better in the sight of others. Perhaps it's money. We know in America, money can be our God. If we tell the truth, 
on this form or, or that application, then perhaps it will mean more cash out of my pocket than going into my pocket. So Paul says, look, we need to speak the truth with our neighbor. We need to put off lying and put on honesty. And why is this? Is because we follow the God of truth. God is a God of truth, and he wants us as his people to reflect his image and to be truth tellers, to speak honestly with our neighbor. Truth should be a distinguishing mark of our speech, not only because God is a God of truth, but also because God is making a new society of people that are characterized by truth. This is what it says at the end of verse 25. Look at it again. It says, for we are members of one another. Here's the motivation. We belong together. When one person suffers, we all suffer. When one person succeeds, we all succeed. And so as we think about this, um, relationships must be built on trust. And trust must always be built on truth. So if we want our relationships to thrive, we need to speak honestly with one another because we really belong to one another. We are in this thing together. We're family. Number two, the next item in our wardrobe that Paul instructs us to wear is this. Uh, we should exercise righteous anger. Verse 26 and 7, maybe you haven't thought about this in these ways. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So here's a question. Is it ever permissible to be angry? Don't get angry. Apparently, it's not only permissible, sometimes it's warranted, and it's exactly what should be expected in a given situation. We see that, that, that just read, go read the Gospels. Jesus gets angry. He gets angry at our sin. He gets angry at the brokenness in our world. He gets angry when the worship of God is mocked. Okay, so, so there are times in our life when we should rightly turn over tables, right? There are times in our life when uh, we should um, maybe be more angry than we are. We get so desensitized to evil in the culture in which we live, and yet God is saying, look, there is a righteous anger that you can exercise, but we have to be careful, right? We have to be very careful because Paul says it so fast. He says, be angry and do not sin. If we're being honest, most of the time we get angry. It is because of our own pride and our own selfishness. When we're angry with someone else, we're being like Jesus, right? Oh, I'm angry, but I'm like Jesus. This is righteous anger. But if someone's angry with us, man, they're being like Satan, right? Don't, don't come with me at that angry. You mad, bro? What you, what you mad for, all right? So, so we, we differentiate based on our own perspective, but oftentimes the reason that we're getting angry is because we're proud and we are selfish. So like God, who says he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, we need to be slow to anger. Anger can be a root cause in the deterioration of our relationships. So how should we deal with, with anger in our lives? Here's a simple framework. Okay, this isn't too fancy, but I think it can be helpful. Number one, we should pause and reflect. 
Just hit pause. When we look at the Bible and what it has to say about anger, you're going to see this theme of self-control and patience that is often coupled with anger, sinful anger. And so we need to pause. We need to step back. We need to just marinate on it a little bit. And you know what? Part of what we need to do, which we don't want to do, is we need to say, okay, how am I contributing to this situation? In what ways have I sinned against them or someone else that may be uh, contributing to my own anger in these moments? So we pause and reflect. And then number two, we care front and we work toward reconciliation. We care front, all right? Now, I know that's not in the dictionary, all right? Some of you think, you know what? It's not confront, it's care front. That's really cheesy, Tanner. I don't know why you're talking like that. Okay, you aren't gonna forget it. That's why I'm talking like this. Care front. We go to the person and, and we share what's going on in our heart. We share how we've been offended. We share what's making us angry and we try to work it out. We try, to, we try to work through it. Man, I'm willing to forgive you. I want to extend forgiveness. I want this to be made right. As Ken Sandy says, we don't need to be peace breakers, all right, stirring up trouble and conflict, nor do we need to be peace fakers, which basically just say, you know what, uh, I'm mad, but I'm not going to deal with that. I'm just going to let that linger. We need to be peacemakers. And Paul's point here is that we would deal with it. Why is this so important? Well, he, he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Does this mean we never sleep if we're angry? Does this mean we have to work it all out before we, you know, hit the pillow at night? Okay, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. In fact, think about this. What would people in northern Norway do? They, in the summertime, they have what is known as the midnight sun. Check out how beautiful it is, all right? Some parts of Norway, they, they have uh, three weeks of no sun that happen. But then, but then other parts of Norway, it's, it's up to four months. So does that mean that they just have, they're, they're off the hook for four months? They can be angry for four months because the sun's not going down, okay? No, it's, it's proverbial, Right? It's a general principle that says, deal with your anger. Don't let it fester and linger because it's only going to go from bad to worse. And this is what he says in the very next statement in verse 27. He says, if you, if you don't deal with your anger, what you're going to do is you're going to give opportunity to the devil. Satan loves to weasel his way into our relationships. He loves to take that anger and fan it into a bigger flame. Why do we have ill feelings toward people that we loved two weeks ago? Oh, man, they're the greatest, man. I can't wait to hang out with them, man. We're going to go out. We're going to grab a little bite to eat. And then one or two small things happen. And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, I don't even know them. I don't want to spend time with them. This is how anger works. Because what does Satan do? We see this in our marriages. We see this in with our roommates, okay? We see this in our, our, our relationship with our coworkers, Satan takes something that is minimal and he maximizes it, right? He takes something that is really in the scheme of life, in the scheme of maybe our week, much less our, 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 our year, okay? He takes something that is so microscopic and he magnifies it. He loves for us to, to make mountains out of molehills. You, you follow me, right? This is how Satan works. And so Paul says, look, if, if you do not deal with your anger, then you are essentially saying to Satan, come on in and mess up my life and mess up my relationships. 
And so when we get angry, even if it's righteous anger, we need to be careful not to let the sun go down on our anger. We need to, to make it right with those whom we may experience conflict with. Number three, work hard and share with those in need. Verse 28 says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Think about this. I love this. Some of the people who were a part of the church of Ephesus were thieves. They were no good, dirty, rotten thieves, all right? They were just going around taking from people. It was, it was part of who they were. But now in Christ, they have been made new. And so he says, let the, let the one who is a thief no longer steal because your life has been changed. You say, well, Tanner, what does this maybe look like in, in our lives today? Okay, well, most certainly if, if you're taking something that doesn't belong to you, okay, that's what we call stealing. That makes you a thief. All right, we need to cut that out. But most of the time, it's probably something more subtle. Maybe it's cutting a little corner here and there on your taxes. Maybe it's pirating software, music, or movies that you should have paid for. And what about the workplace, all right? Some employers steal from their workers by overworking them, but failing to give fair compensation. And you might say, well, that's me. That's how I feel, all right? I'm, I'm working hard. I'm not even really getting paid what I should get paid. Uh, but, but, but let me turn that around on you, okay? Workers steal from their employers by, you know, hanging out on social media when they should be working, not giving their best effort, not giving it your all. And so we need to consider how this might even creep into our life in the little subtleties of life. Rather than stealing, we are to work hard with our own hands. And this is good. I love this. If you, if you missed, if you just came to Redemption Hill in the past you know, year or, or year and a half, about two years ago, we did what we called a Work Reimagined series where we looked at a theology of work and how God is a, a working God and he's always at work and we're made in his image and we're made to work. That's why if you, if you just kind of sit on your hands for week after week after week, you're gonna grow frustrated and dissatisfied. Why? Because God made us to work. Whether that's in our vocation, whether that's volunteering, all right, God wants us to work with our hands. The, the, the word here conveys work. It, it conveys labor to the point of weariness. So listen, you put on a hard day at work, you come home, you're exhausted, don't be discouraged, right? Don't, don't get upset about that. Thank God because God made us to work and to work very hard. Don't you admire people who work hard? Anybody admire people who work? I, I do. There's, there's this girl named Ray, okay? She's the manager at the Starbucks on 16, all right? Whole Foods. I've been going there for a while. I, mean, I love Ray. Ray is one of the hardest working people that I know. I cut up with her something like, man, Ray, why are you working so hard, man? You're going to make all these other, other people look bad on the job, all right? I mean, she just, she's a busy man, busy bee. She's working, you know, she moves fast. I respect that because this is who God has made us to be. I don't even know if Ray's a believer, but she reflects the image of God and not only the fact that she's working, but how hard she works. This is so important, Paul says, not only because we reflect God when we work, but also because we can reflect the generosity of God when we take what we earn and we help those who have physical and material needs in life. 
So as you think about your work and you think about your paycheck and you think about your bank account and your budget, do you, do you only receive so that you can spend on yourself and maybe save a little bit? Or you remember this framework from last fall. Do you, do you make some money so that you can give and be generous and then save and then spend what you need to spend? God calls us to reflect his generosity in how we give. Number four, this fourth trip to the closet. Use gracious words that build. Gracious words that build. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Every one of us has a very powerful tongue that we have 24 access. 24-hour access to. That's our tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says what? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is a powerful instrument. Think about how many words you say in a day. Uh, Researchers say it's around 16,000 words, all right? Women usually speak a few more words than men. Ha, 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 ha. It's not that much more, but it's still, on average, more. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. All right. But, 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 but out of these, out of these roughly sixteen thousand words, all right, some of y'all are like, man, this guy he's in trouble. All right, my wife's in the back. Um, out of these words, how many are constructive and how many are destructive? Our words can build up and give life, or they can tear down and corrupt. Think about that. Just, just pause and think about it. Like, we read these verses, like, man, da, da, da. No, the words we speak can literally animate someone's life. They can spur them on. They can motivate them. They can encourage them, or they can tear them down. They can cause decay to happen emotionally in someone else's life. So do you choose your words wisely? We must give careful thought to what we say. If we have something important to share with someone, how about, how about just, just thinking about it? What about praying about it before we go and we share with that person? And you know this, all right? You know this. We've all learned from experience here. It's not only what we say, but when we say it. We can have the right thing to say, but if we say it at the wrong time, it it, it may not carry near the impact that we hope that it would have to even build that person up. So we need to pray about the timing, only what we say, but when we say it, and then also, what else? How we say it. Do we speak words with gentleness or harshness? Do our words convey grace or frustration? How do you talk to your family? How do you talk to your friends? How do you talk to your coworkers? What do your conversations look like? You say, well, Tanner, you know what? Man, I'm not, I'm not using a lot of destructive words. I'm okay. That's not the point. It's not, look, the Christian life is not put off. The Christian life is put off and put on. So we, we are to exercise putting on words that build people up constructive words. And so let me, just, let me just ask you a few questions, all right? If we're, if we're seeking to clothe ourselves with Christ, then how about these questions? Um, 
In your conversations, how often do you point people to Christ? On any given week, let's just think about Sunday to Sunday. In any given week, how often do your words point someone to Christ? How often does the name of Jesus fall from your lips? And I'm, I'm talking literally right now. I'm not saying Christians like Jesus, 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 all right? To all of my haters in the... That's a Lecrae song, all right? But I saw, we, we saw Lecrae a couple weeks ago. It's a good song, all right? But, 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 but really, like, do we, do we ever speak his name? Do we ever interject his perspective? Do we ever say, you know what? Jesus calls me to live this kind of way, and Jesus gives me hope in the midst of anxiety, Man, when I'm struggling, I turn to, to, to Christ. How many times in, a, in any given week does the word of God fall from our heart to the heart of another person? There's power in words. We will give an account for every word we speak. Jesus says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account, ready for this? For every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. What does he mean? It means that, that what comes out of our, our mouth is the result of what's in our heart. And if our heart is right before God and we're walking in step with the spirit, if we're clothing ourselves with Christ, then, then we're gonna be speaking words that build up. Words that show that Jesus has changed us, that he's made us a new person. And the converse of that is true as well. So the goal here is to build one another up. It's to give grace to those who are hearing you. You remember from a couple of weeks ago, this, this mantra, make it a month or so ago, the first passage we looked at in Ephesians, that everyone builds for the sake of everyone. You remember this? So all of us, each one of us, build for the sake of everyone else that is a part of our family, a part of our lives. Number five, verse 30, do not grieve the spirit, please the spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's do a little theology. God is a triune God. He is a triune being. God eternally exists. The one God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so God, we see that God is a living being. He is personal. He always desires to relate to his creation in loving relationship. He made you for a relationship with him. And so because he exists to relate to you, to relate to me in loving relationship, that means when we, when we do things that offend him, when we do things that turn away from his ways in our life, then we can grieve him. We can grieve the Father, the Son, and as Paul highlights here, the Holy Spirit. Any deviation from God's plan holds the potential to grieve the heart of God. And we can just look at in this passage and we can see that when we, when we fail to speak the truth, when we're sinfully angry, when we take rather than give, these are all ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And there are plenty of other ways that we can do that in life. But at the same time, not only can we grieve the spirit, but we can please the spirit. So I want you to consider this. What would happen in your life? With what kind of brightness would your life radiate if your greatest fear in life was to grieve the spirit of God, but your greatest aim in life was to please the spirit of God? Think about that. 
Your greatest fear to grieve the spirit, but your greatest aim and pleasure was to please the spirit. Your life is going to be like a proverb that says, your righteousness shines brighter and brighter to full noonday. Your life is going to be like fireworks drawing people to the light of Christ. And the only consistent response to what God has done for us as we seek to please the spirit rather than grieve the spirit is what he says at the end of that verse when he says, for you have been sealed by the spirit for the day of redemption. Do you see how time and time again, it's gospel motivated, gospel motivated. We have been redeemed. We have been brought out of our former life of slavery to sin. And we have been set free to now live our lives for God in complete joy. And, and I love this language. The spirit has sealed you. You are unshakably in Christ. So, so listen, you probably blew it last week. Some of the things that John talked about last week and encouraged us to, maybe you blew it. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? This week I was simply angry. This week I've let corrupt talk come out of my mouth. Man, I am not like Christ. I am not putting the wardrobe of Christ on day by day. Listen, if you are in him, he is gonna keep working with you. He's gonna keep working on you. He's gonna keep working through you because you are sealed. That means that, that if you're in Christ, you can't lose your salvation. It's not that, oh man, now look at, they just slipped up. Jesus is not keeping score in heaven. Oh, they just, they just messed up, man. I'm gonna, they're off the list. I'm gonna do away with them. No. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So because we are sealed with the spirit, we know that we are in Christ and now we are headed toward the day of redemption. This is really good news because look, remember if you were here at Easter, I'm just gonna summarize this for you, okay? We said that the resurrection and this promise of new creation motivates all of our good deeds in life. Our conduct, our deeds. Every time we do a good work, we are pointing to the coming kingdom of God, right? You remember this? Cup of cold water, how, what does that say? It says that no one's gonna thirst in heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. No one's gonna, no one's gonna be suffering, no more tears, no more sickness. That's why we bind up the wounds. That's why we uh, feed the poor. So, so, so our good deeds point forward to the coming of the kingdom of God, but also our character and devotion point forward to the coming kingdom of God because in that day, there will be no more sin. We will be freed from the presence of sin, not just the power of sin in this life, but, but the very presence of sin. We'll be freed from it and we'll be like him for we will see him as he is, 1 John 3. So this is really, really good news. It's all motivated by not only looking back at where we've come from, but looking forward to what lies ahead. Our last encouragement comes in verses 31 and 32. Extend kindness and forgiveness. He says this, let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So, so a couple of observations here, okay? That, 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 that word all, guess what that means? It means all. All. Not, not, not a speck. 
This is the goal. Not a speck, not a hint, not a little bit still creeping into our life. The goal is that we are doing away with all of that. Now, Paul, I think, is intentional in how he brings these terms because what we see is this. He moves from heart attitude to what becomes increasingly public. So check this out. Um, We get bitter when we have ill feelings towards someone and fail to deal with it. Then that bitterness can lead to us becoming enraged and angry. And we get so angry to the point that we begin to tear others down by our words. We might shout at them. That's clamor. Or we might speak in such a way that we make them look bad in the sight of others. And so we slander them. And this can even lead to malice and intent to bring evil upon someone. Have you ever truly wished ill upon someone? Man, I hope that they don't, man. I hope that they don't get that. I hope something bad happens to them, right? We, there's probably not one of us who haven't had those kind of thoughts. At some point in our life, we are far more wicked than we imagine ourselves to be. And yet God says, put all of that away, all of that. And rather in the place of, of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, we are to what? Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. We are to be sympathetic. We are to uh, be ready to forgive. And why is this? Because at the end of verse 32, once again, this gospel motivator, God in Christ has been kind to us. God in Christ has forgiven us. So is there any kindness in light of the cross of Christ that we should not be ready to extend to someone else? Is there any offense, however great it may be, that we should not be ready to forgive because of what God has done for us in Christ. He is offend- we have offended him in ways that we will never be offended by someone else. And yet he extends this forgiveness to us in Christ. As we prayed earlier, we can look around at our lives and we can look around at our world. The city of Baltimore certainly needs the power of the cross. They need the justice of the cross, the love of the cross, the forgiveness of the cross these days in the city of Boston needs it no less right now, here today. To conclude, let's look at verses one and two of chapter five. This is is a a hinge verse that basically summarizes what he just said and propels us into what we're gonna see next week where he says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says, imitate God. Walk like Jesus in light of what he has done for you in his sacrificial death. And so, we see how radically God-centered Paul is in our behavior, in our conduct, what we do. He says, imitate God, walk like Christ and please the spirit. This is what should motivate our every attitude and action. And so a great way to end our time together, I think, is to come back to a prayer that we were praying way before Easter where we just said this, God, what would you have me do? You remember this prayer? God, what would you have me do? Uh, Maybe there has been some unwholesome speech that you you need to correct, 
and you need to ask God to help you speak constructive words to people. Maybe you become sinfully angry. Maybe that's one of the temptations that you're prone to. And you just say, Christ, give me your patience, slow to anger. Christ, give me your perspective. Give me, give me your kindness and forgiveness that I could extend toward someone else. Maybe you say, you know what? I need to work hard. I've been kind of cutting corners at work and I need to give it my all so that I can honor God and how I work, but also give to those in need. Listen, whatever the spirit of God brings to your mind that you might please him, would you ask God to help you right now as we pray together? Father, we are amazed by your character. We are amazed by the wardrobe that you call us to put on. And Lord, we don't stand here, we don't sit here today as a people who have it all together. We, we realize that our wardrobe doesn't look very, very well a lot of days, a lot of moments of a lot of days. And so God, would you, uh, by your grace, change us to clothe ourselves with Christ, to please your spirits, imitate you in all of our ways so that our light can shine to those around us, so that we can glorify you and so that we can bring others by attracting them by the life that we, we lead so we can bring them into the joy and life that you offer all people. God, I pray that you would make us as a church, that you would make every single person in here hungry, passionate, to do your will because you have raised us from the dead. We are not the same anymore. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.